Welcome to Monkey and Frank. My name is Doe and my body is Dom. And today I have a beautiful soul joining us. And that soul is Matt. He's my ayahuasca brother um, from my time in Peru. How are you, Matt? I'm doing great, Dom. You have such a, such a soothing voice. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Perfect. So as we uh, discussed before, I wanted to know about your life and about your psychedelic journey. Um, can you tell me a little bit more on, you know, like, uh, not more, but can you start by telling me uh, what was your way of being before your first psychedelic trip? And then maybe just jump into the trip itself. Then. Yeah, sure. Well, um, we'll call it pre pre psychedelic journey. Uh, I I was in a very, very much a go, go, go mentality, do it all myself. Uh, don't ask for help. Uh, so I had a business at the time and uh, just had like complete focus on on getting ahead in life, getting as much money as I could, material things. And um, I, I had no interest in psychedelics, actually. But uh, well, I didn't realize I did. But um, one night I was watching a documentary or a, a documentary with Joe Rogan caught my eye. Uh, DMT, the spirit molecule. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yes, of course. Yes. So uh, that, this was 2013. And uh, I remember being really interested in DMT, uh, not in doing it, but just by the effects and people's stories, this idea of connecting with uh, something greater than self, you know, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so that was the first real conceptual introduction to psychedelics. Like I, I, I had this fear that goes along with the cultural, you know, stigma and storyline over the last uh, so many decades, which was these things will ruin your your mind. Don't do them. <laughs> so, um, so that was 2013. Um, so it kind of just slightly, I didn't open the door, but it's like I nudged up to the door of psychedelics at that point. And uh, keep in mind, like, not keep in mind, but let, let me give you a little context too, is um, I'd grown up with uh, my dad pretty much instilling fear, which, it's probably somewhat of a good thing as a kid to just avoid uh, drugs, to avoid su substances, um, and to give you more of a context. I didn't, I didn't have my first uh, full alcoholic drink until I was 21, and it was like one and done. I was like, "Oh, this stuff is awful. I don't know why people drink this." So, really, really coming from a like this stuff is you know awful, uh, and I don't want anything to do with it. What what brought me into the experience or caught my interest was nothing to do with my altering or opening consciousness. It was I, w I wanted to hook up with this girl who was working at my coffee stand, <laughs> the, the, which also gives you some insight into my my motives time. And uh, I remember she her and I were talking about spirituality, and uh, she was she pretty much said, "Well, I'd love to to guide you on a." on a mushroom journey if you're interested. And uh, for me, I was like, yeah, why in my mind, I'm like, cool, we'll do mushrooms. We're going to hook up. This is going to be awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just a small question before you continue. So you were a confident person. You didn't really have any anxiety or depression at that time. You were just like, I can see. Oh, money was coming in, girls, smooth. Um, no, that's, that, I mean, yes and no. Yes, I had some money coming in. Coming in. I had, had a business going, which gave me confidence for sure. This, uh, you know, my identity was wrapped around being my own my own person. Uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, all that. No, I had, I had a lot of anxiety. Uh, I, to, to, to speak to the anxiety and, and depression for sure. These were, these were, um, these were, Symptoms and feelings that I repressed, though, and I was actually rewarded for doing so by um, society, by my family, by not that they outright said, you know, don't look at depression or don't feel your feelings. But um, there, it's like when you're doing your own thing all the time and you're used to having to make decisions, 
there's no time for help, right? There's no time to slow down. That was the, mi the mindset. So it's like, oh, I don't have time to, to be feeling right now. I don't have time. Like this is going to slow me down from my goal of getting money and getting ahead, right? Um, right. So I'll, I'll say that. Um, is there anywhere else you'd like to go with that or want me to go with that? Because there's plenty to unpack. No, that, that's pretty good. I mean, it, it really speaks to uh, the previous podcast I was talking about is uh, in order to, like for me anyways, in my journey right now, to beat depression, after you accumulate the knowledge and everything, uh, the best thing that you can do for yourself is create disciplines in your life to really put in the work into spirituality. It kind of like for money, for uh, girls, let's say, or like your life, which is kind of the same way of not repressing, but putting the emotions aside and really working on yourself. So it's super beautiful. Continue. Hey, Dom, I'm having trouble hearing you. I don't know if it's my end or your end, but keeps cutting in and out. And so I'm lo uh, losing the congruence of what you're saying. Oh, no, it's probably me, man. Uh, I, yeah. So what I was saying is that it ties into the previous podcast pretty well, because uh, in order where I'm at right now in my life, when it comes to the wisdom of spirituality, after you accumulate all this knowledge and all this uh, wisdom, mm -hmm. the next best thing to do is really to put in some discipline in your life and some practices to really get your life busy and going, at, you know, in, while including spirituality with uh, what you're doing. But for you in your case is like you were really not putting, well, I guess, putting your emotions aside, but when you do have a lot of discipline and a lot of work ethics, it really helps to uh, to kind of put your depression aside and move forward with life and to grow something. Yeah. Uh, anyways, it's so continue. Yeah. Well, to 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 the vein of what, to, in vein of what you're saying, um, there was a denying of self, though, right? Like, if you think in terms yeah. of, so I think in terms of homeostasis, right? We're an organism that. Um, physiologically always is tr going towards balance, like once balance, like that's, that's, that's the nature of life, homeostasis to, to um, go after some goal, whether it's a uh, monetary, whether it's uh, physical feet, you know, running a marathon, there are periods of time where you go out of balance. And so it's not, it's not that it's like bad or good. It's, it's necessary. You, you have to create more pressures on yourself so that you are able to endure you know, if you're running a marathon, you need to learn how to get your breath, your lung capacity up and pace and cadence, all that. Um, I'm not a runner. I'm just trying to use that as an analogy. So um, I think we're like, so if you think, in, like, if we consider depression, not as just like a, uh, a root, but a symptom of something, right? So it's a symptom of being out of balance. Your body, mind is so out of balance for a, quite a, quite a long time. Um, or for, for long periods of time, that this becomes um, the way of your body and mind telling you, "Hey, we're not we're not even near homeostasis right now." <laughs> and uh, I, I learned I learned to again. But when I said um, society and society reward rewarded me for suppressing my um, emotions, my feelings, which manifested as anxiety and depression. What I mean is. Uh, this goes into like the gender role of, um, you know, boys, boys be tough. If you have like push those feelings down or don't show emotion. Right. So that starts at a pretty young age um, and that carries over. And so that, bec that becomes internalized for me, it was internalized as it's not okay to be emotional. And, and like, I have all these emotions, you know, I get sad, I get really angry, but I, but I don't, but I've been told in some way, don't show it. So where do I go with it? You know, I, I had to push it down. And so I've, this became a pattern for me or, or I remove myself from people. So, so I isolate. And when, when, uh, when we don't feel like we have the support of uh, our family or of our community, that's a really lonely place, right? So that carried over, though I was having some success in business and I, I was pretty autonomous relative to a lot of my friends and peers, which gave me some pride and confidence, I guess. Um, I felt very disconnected from, from self and from others. Um, and so Q, so that, yeah, go ahead. Uh, one more question uh, before, sorry for disrupting your flow. Not at all. At, uh, before you uh, 
you took the the mushroom, the psychedelics with uh, your friend, where were you at when it came to spirituality and religion or God? Yeah, um, I was, I had gone through some of an existential crisis. So I grew up uh, in a a charismatic Christian upbringing and was really identified as as a Christian through up into my early 20s. Um, and by the time I did my first psychedelic experience, it was post-college, which is funny because a lot of people do their exploratory stuff in college. Um, and so I was 20, I think I was 26 at the time. And um, over that five-year period between like kind of wa- like moving away from religion and structural religion um, and spirituality, well, not spirituality, religion, um, I was diving into like philosophy, diving into stoicism, which is ties right into philosophy, uh, material reductionist science, um, and you know, trying to trying to really just trying to find purpose, but not finding it. <laughs> Nothing was satiating in the in the world of mind, in the academic world, and uh, so that was a five year journey, and. By the time I get, am going towards this experience being offered to me with mushrooms, I began to take an interest. I didn't know there was a field of in, in, in the world of consciousness at this point. I didn't realize that a good majority of people in within the scientific community um, have, have. Sorry if that. Sorry, my phone's going off. I don't know if you're hearing that. Let me go ahead and turn that down. It's perfect. <laughs> funny enough that was Corey messaging me um, um, Cor- so yeah um, my flow coming back oh so con- I, I didn't realize there was an entire field of, on, on consciousness and that people saw there was you know two camps presented con- the consciousness is fundamental and out of it comes the world of form and the other of course empirical reduction of science all there is is matter consciousness arises out of matter somehow right um, and as soon as I realized that there was an entire um, set of professionals uh, that, you know, I needed that at the time. I needed there to be professionals that saw this as, as not crazy, but logical in some way or possible. My, uh, my heart like sprung towards hope. And I remember reading a book called Proof of Heaven. I don't know if you've ever heard of this book, Proof of Heaven. No. It was by a, um, I want to say, so his name was Eben, his name is Eben Alexander. And in 2008, he had a near-death experience. He had some kind of bacteria that attacked his brain, and it put him into a coma, coma state. But uh, I think he was out for like seven days or eight days. And in that time period, he had what would be classified as a full-blown mystical experience, right? Ego d- dissolution. Um, he talks about going to the different realms of heaven. But he he does – the way he talked about it, it wasn't tied to religion. It was energy. It was um, – a lot of it was like tied back. I guess some of it was tied back to religion, but it wasn't the classical Christian religion that I was used to. So I was really drawn to that. So there's there's some more context, kind of like giving you. I'm, I moved out of Christianity. I moved more into like the philosophies, more into um, uh, material science. But it was really insatiating, like constricting. And then I came back out the other end. Uh, almost, it's really a transformative process in and of itself, and stepped back into the world of consciousness or stepped into the world of consciousness and like from there i'm moving towards a psychedelic experience so um so there's some backdrop but that opened my heart up a lot i was very excited at the potential um around con- just consciousness being fundamental and that when we die it's not the end like i had a lot of fear and anxiety around death and why is there so much suffering right um do you have any questions or do, should i continue right there no, no, no. Continue. Okay. It, it's talking to me so much. Perfect. So I, um, so Q, so coming back to this, this gal who invited me to do the mushroom journey, I was really like to give you an idea of how, uh, how messed up I was at the time too. I'm in a relationship with another girl, and and she was she, this is near Christmas time, and she was going home to see her family, and I let her know that I had an opportunity to do mushrooms at her apartment, and I wanted to do it, so. That part was cool. At least I was being transparent, but uh, you know, I wasn't going to let her know that I wanted to hook up with this this girl. And uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to 
to uh, have any kind of sexual contact with somebody on mushrooms, but especially on, on a like, first time experience, high dose, not knowing what to expect. I was in no shape or form ready for <laughs> physical intimacy. <laughs> so this, what's that? I said, oh, no, on the mushroom, uh, first time experience, and how much did you take? Oh, uh, you know what? I, I, I wanted, I'm not positive. I, I remember asking her, and uh, she didn't really know. I'm, I would suspect I had about two and a half grams, maybe three grams, um, which, which, you know, for then, especially the first time, that was uh, a, a lot for me because a lot of emotions started coming forth, right? All those repressed emotions were suddenly bubbling up. And my my defense mechanisms, right? All my all the mechanisms that I've put in place and learned, all the mechanisms that I had put into place were dissolving, and so the feeling of control, right, was was starting to 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 slip from my grasp, and it was really scary. And I remember calling to her in the other room, like, I need your help. I, need, I want, I went off of this trip. I want to, I want out. <laughs> she, and she was sweet. She, she came and like sat with me, but she also was really not fit for service in the sense that um, she, she knew how to navigate that space. She had her own stuff that she was working with. And um, she, she wasn't really, she wasn't really the person to probably be navigating that space with another person. Like, so anyhow, uh, I had, I remember seeing these big dragons smiling at me and I was just like, like they weren't talking. There was no visual, there was no audio hallucinations or anything like that. There wasn't, um, it didn't feel like an, a trip with like intelligence guiding me. I just felt chaotic and I wanted out. And so the more I fought it, the worse it got. Um, and these dragons were just like, kind of almost like taunting me. And I was like, God, go away. Like you guys are awful. I just, leave me alone. But the more I, the more I said, like, I don't like this. I went out the worst it got. Right. But no one was there to tell me, breathe. You'll be okay. Just breathe through it. So it's like, be still or like, go, go into those emotions, sit with that. What does that look like? How does that feel? So, um, after I'd say about, I think we'd started at 10 PM. It wasn't until 4 AM that I'd be the peak of it was over. And, um, she ended up leaving and, then what was really fascinating to me is um, I, I started to get little nuggets of uh, wisdom or like I started and it's not new wisdom. It was uh, like judge not lest you be judged, like words of Jesus coming back to me, a lot of the teachings that I grew up with. And I, and I realized how I, how I had been seeing the world through this lens of, uh, of just judgment towards others. Like they were all doing the wrong thing. They were all out to get me. And I was like, wow, I never realized that this lens was here. Um, and though I'd heard that teaching so many times, it was like being given fresh eyes again, right? Like seeing the world from the eyes of a child for a moment. And I thought, wow, that was whatever this is, like this aha moment, This was that was worth all the, the craziness that I just went through. Um, and little downloads like that were happening throughout that week of just self-reflection, right? Like, and then talking to friends about it, like, oh yeah, people call that the afterglow moment. Like, you know, you were, you had some clarity of thought. You could, you could start to suddenly, there was like this gap between your controlled mind, what you wanted and the lessons that were coming up. Finally, there was space for you to hear some lessons that you needed. It was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. So that was, that was 2013, I think, 2013. And uh, I've got some we got some questions concerning that trip. Yeah. So the dragons that you saw, were you seeing them as a knowing? Or when you would close your eyes, you could see shapes and forms of dragons? Or was it open eye hallucination? It was closed eyes. And yeah, so my eyes were closed. I'd see these images and then the dragons. And I and then again, I'd open my eyes. I'm like, oh my God, okay, I'm still in my room. But I was like, I wanted off of the trip, right? So I'm like, I don't know how to get off this trip. I'll close my eyes again. And then there's the dragons and there's chaos and there's like just swirling everything. And I was like, oh my, this is awful. If I open my eyes, the, it's like almost too stimulating. If I close my eyes, there's these images and, and um, symbols that are just overwhelming me. And so, yeah, it, was, it wasn't open eye hallucination. It was closed eye. 
That's amazing. I've always wondered where, because in my journey yet, I've never had the experience other than with ayahuasca, but with the mushroom, uh, to have closed eye, beautiful, crisp um, hallucination. Like, uh, And I love the fact that it was uh, dragons. Dragons, for me, and in the stories, always represent chaos. Yeah. And I like how you say it. It's really, really cool. And the dragons were just there looking at you, being annoyed that you wanted to run away. Yeah, they, well, they weren't annoyed. It, like that, I didn't get anything from them like they were judging me or annoyed or frustrated. It was more like they were laughing at me, smile like, of course, like you're, yeah, it was almost like a taunting. Like the more you fight, the worse it's going to get. <laughs> like that, that kind of mentality. So it was cracking me up. I mean, now it's cracking me up. Back then it was, it felt so awful. It felt so, uh, it felt very real. And um, so it's interesting because I had no, I mean, I watched a few like YouTube vlogs leading up to that trip. More more about the physical. Like I, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to overheat my body. I didn't want you know, like I wanted to make sure I was hydrated. And so I, all the the concern about my mind not being returned to what it was, you know, that was the biggest concern for me. I had no idea about the set and setting, internal space, intention setting. Right? It was really like, I'm just here because I'm trying to hook up with this girl and this will be a cool experience. <laughs> Before that, did you ever had any experiences or with dragons in it or was it really random? It seemed random to me. It, it was random. Like I remember in the moment being like, even though I was um, overwhelmed and it, it was scary, I remember in the moment being like, wow, how are these, how, how am I getting this imagery when I close my eyes? It's not like I'm, you know, know anything about Chinese art or Asian art. Like I think dragons are a big part of the Chinese culture, right? Um, and so I'm like, maybe there was some kind of, maybe I watched something where it primed me for this. I remember like trying to like rationalize it, right? My mind is trying to make sense of it all. Um, but I gave up on that pretty quickly because it just didn't bring any results. It just made things worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after all the downloads that you were receiving, uh, super beautiful, uh, just knowledge. Um, tell me, yeah, can you start continuing from there? Yeah. Well, really after that, I was taken back towards like how, how these lessons I had learned growing up at the church, even though I'd, I'd walked away from, from organized religion, you know, the, the wisdom and the teachings of Jesus were still so profound and to have it come back um, in a new way through a, through a psychedelic trip was potent. That's stayed, that stayed with me. Um, I didn't have another psychedelic trip let me think here. I think my neck, if, if I think I might have done MDMA one or two times after that, which is still classified as psychedelic, but you know, you don't really get hallucinations on it. It's more of a body. Um, I guess some people might, I just, I've never known anyone in my circle who've had any kind of visual hallucinations on MDMA, but um, I didn't have any interest in doing mushrooms after that because. Uh, the experience, it was just too much, for, too much of an, just too much for me. Um, so that was 2013, 20, no, sorry, that was 2014, 2015. I ended up going through Asia, East Asia and traveling. And then December of 2015, I, ayahuasca came back, came up, came up on my radar because I'd watched that DMT spirit molecule documentary. Uh, and I thought that's interesting. You know, this would be an interesting experience to have, uh, but I'm, but I don't know about, I don't know about going all the way to Peru. You know, I, I had grown up learning that shamanism was witchcraft from the, from the religious circles, the Christian church, you know, um, these are witch doctors. These, this is the devil's work, all that. Um, but um, after watching that documentary, I just, again, it's like I was edging up to the door very slowly I'm like, you know, people who have these encounters with, with ayahuasca and have this shamanistic experience, they, they, you know, they acknowledge there's some really hard and scary parts, but they seem better for it. And, and it just reminded me of the mushroom trip. And I thought, well, unlike the mushroom trip that I did, I would at least have some guides. I'd be around other people that were on similar um, journeys. And um, so, again, I started to have this internal 
narrative with self of like, you know, this really does interest me. Um, but then there's the other part of me that my old, my old part of self that I was operating from of, well, if I do this, what if it forever changes my neurology? What if, what if uh, I go off the deep end, my family, like they're not going to support me going to do this, like all this narrative. Um, and then. And the leading, oh, sorry. But the leading up to it, it seems like you were still looking for something that you didn't find. Oh, hundred percent. Yes. Um, what I was, <laughs> What I was looking for was was peace internal. Like I was, I, I it's almost like I had to admit it to myself, right? You, I'm, I'm going through life operating on a, a very anxious frequency, but that's the normal. So you don't. It's like you don't you don't even know that you're operating anxiously until you have a moment of peace, right? And that moment of peace with uh, even, even though psilocybin was super chaotic, I had a complete moment of peace and clarity where that download came through. And that made it even more apparent how the way I was living um, wasn't sustainable, right? No homeostasis there. It was it was uh, very painful. So, uh, what what I was looking for was God, divinity, um, my true self. So, and and the way I would have said it then was, I'm looking for purpose. I feel no connection to my work. I don't feel any connection to people. I still like care about people. I still care. And want to help and, and do things but i just see so much suffering in the world and i'm suffering so how can i be of help when i can't help myself and that was that was like a realization for me too um, and i can uh, really see a, a correlation as well as being a womanizer when you know in that same concept of you know there's no purpose yeah. and finding yourself and when you don't have that connection you just go for woman. that's right so that's a good point. Yeah, that um, where where I was finding it's like taking the scraps uh, instead of like so pretty much like missing the fact that there's an entire feast before you and going for scraps, right? Like at least an orgasm brought momentary uh, a momentary experience of pleasure, right? Even though it's fleeting, everything's transient. It was something, and it was something that I could reproduce. So that was, uh, yeah, that was. So I'm guessing that during that that time off between the mushroom and the ayahuasca, you were still being a womanizer and still, Oh yeah. 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 And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have called it that, but yes, I was, I was seeking, I was seeking validation. I was seeking divinity through form, which is, it's an experience, but it was an empty one. <laughs> it, was, it was an empty one. Um, it, interesting enough, you know, the universe is always in support of us. So, some of the relations that I had, the very temporary, ended up being um, breadcrumbs on the path that led me to to uh, the ayahuasca retreat in Peru. Uh, a couple of good friends in Se which well they became close friends at the time in Seattle, um, handed me books on consciousness, and um, one of them I still have. It's called Many Li Many Lives, Many Masters. Uh, it's about past lives and reincarnation. And uh, so it's interesting how, again, that's why I said it, it's just an experience. You know, if you want to, if you want to seek pleasure as a temporary scrap, that's fine. Go for it. It's not sustainable. Um, but your overall dharma, right? Your overall purpose is is always there. And um, even if you're moving towards it one millimeter at a time, the universe is in support of you. Uh, so. They so support came in areas that I didn't, I wasn't even aware that I was looking for it. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but that is it does, it's so beautiful. Yeah, continue. Um, what was it? Yeah, so oh, so, so what, what ended up what ended up um being kind of a catalyst for me deciding, all right, I'm gonna go, I'm going to Peru. Um, now's the time is. Um, the girl that I had been dating off and on, um, the same one that I was telling you about earlier, where I let her know I'm going to do a mushroom trip while she was away, her and I continued to date off and on to the year of 2015. And then it ended uh, pretty poorly, mostly because of me, not her, because I was just very emotionally immature and emotionally constipated, really. Um, the pain of, of, 
realizing that I was the one who had made the bed that I was sleeping in, so to say, of my loneliness, my inability to really connect with people became so much that I was like, you know what? I, this is the most important thing in my life right now. Money, it, what, what good is all the money if I'm miserable, right? What good is any ideas of success that I have right now if I'm miserable? And like at the time, to give you some greater perspective again is I, I mean, I spent money. I traveled Southeast Asia. I went to Bali. Um, I went to Cambodia and had a, you know, had a great time traveling and, and escaping myself for that time period. And then I'd come back and do my coffee business, um, hook up with girls, um, skydive. Like there was a lot of heat, like a lot of pleasure, hedonistic kind of pleasures. And they were again, short term fun. But every every night when you lay your you know, lay your head down on the pillow, you're always you and you're always there. And so I got sick of myself, so to say. I got sick of my routine and patterns and uh, desperate even. And it all became very apparent to me that it was time to take drastic actions. Um, and that's what that was like the catalyst between the girlfriend and my relationship ending. Hold on one second. I'm going to I'm going to shut the door. Sorry, I got some background noise with my cleaner. One moment. It's the feminine energy that keeps coming back up in your story. It does seem in uh, it does seem that in your uh, story, a lot of the the breadcrumbs the breadcrumbs that were given to you came from the feminine energy, an energy that was lacking. Sorry. Wanted to get Say that again, Dom. So are you breaking up one more time? Yeah, no worries. So what I was saying is, uh, I kind of see a pattern of the feminine energy uh, kind of guiding you towards purpose here and there uh, in your life, as if like you were missing that feminine energy energy within yourself. You know, the the self love, right. the caring. Anyways, yeah, that's. I see kind of this pattern. Yeah, that's a. Really good job listening to your intuition on that because that's exactly right. Um, there was a great disconnect. I, I, so you'll notice in this conversation and I'm sure in future conversations if we have around this kind of topic, um, there's typically some trauma that happened as a, as a child. And it's pretty common for, for boys um, to be scarred in some capacity by the mother. Um, it seems to be a common theme, at least amongst our tribe. And um, I was, you know, I, I had grown up, had a, there was physical abuse by my mom who had, a, by the way, she had an atrocious childhood, um, a lot of trauma. So there's some patterns there that were getting repeated. But there was um, early on, there was neglect, there was some physical abuse. And so that left an imprint on my psyche uh, that would manifest later over the years of, I can't trust on some level. I, I knew I couldn't trust even my own mom. And there was um, anger towards the feminine, right? Because the mother, the mother is the physical embodiment and representation of the feminine energy. So um, I wasn't aware. I just thought, you know, oh, well, I've had a pretty good life. I, I didn't re you know recall too much in the way of like neglect. It wasn't until later through these transpersonal or psychedelic experiences that I started to have to confront things that had happened. Um, anyhow, yes, that that's right. It's like the, there's like these breadcrumbs of corrective experiences, so to say, where other, other representations of the feminine energy were showing up in my life and just like supporting me towards healing, supporting me, walking me towards mother who uh, would come to be, you know, the would would come to be a new mother for me in some way. So it's quite interesting that you keyed into that or tuned into that. And especially with uh, ayahuasca, when you're dealing of uh, a spirit that is very feminine, like a mother's teacher, you know, like her daughter kind of guiding you. I can't wait to hear about that story. So please continue. Yeah. Wow. Um, so December of 2015, things were, 
like I was very depressed and I wasn't trying to hide it as much. And I was like, you know, what? I just, I can't continue to, I won't continue to exist like this. I don't, I can't, this is, uh, it's hell and this is no existence. And so I remember allowing myself to do therapy, but the therapy was too slow for me. Like, I'm like, I want results. I coming from the like uh, business mindset of like, I do it myself. I get results. I remember like, man, this therapy, this therapy stuff is too slow. I need it now. Hold on, sorry, my girlfriend's dog is. I know. saying <laughs> <laughs> like, are you complaining? Like, because uh, what came up to me is, I'm guessing, I'm just guessing that from the outside view, your life must have been amazing from the other's point of view. Like, if anybody would yeah. looked in at Matt, like, man, yeah. skydiving. He's got his own business, he's charismatic, yeah. he's got the girls, and but really inside, it's just like the whining of your dog, like, hey, I'm not working, like, I That's need right. more, and I yeah. now, because I, I know the desperation. Yeah, yeah, um, but in really looking back, my, you know, and I still am a pretty charismatic person at times, but that, that charisma was all a front to get attention, right, to get attention and love Cause that, that's how I got it in some way as a kid, I would, you know, be goofy or like, you know, do something stupid to get attention in some way. And that, because that, because it wasn't there, my parents had four kids. Um, my dad worked too much. My mom was depressed herself. So these personality traits were born out of um, a need for love and attention. Um, sorry. One, my, it's all good, man. Take your time, man. Even the noise, I love it. For me, I, I really don't mind. If anybody is listening and bothered by oh, that, okay. I don't care. One second, my <laughs> girlfriend's just getting home. Okay. Sorry. I have, my girlfriend has an acupuncture business where she works from home and goes out and about. Okay, I'm back. She's got the dog. We're good. So, uh, yeah, The so by all... By all appearances, it would it would have seemed that I was doing just fine, right? Uh, my family, people might ask, "Oh, hey, are you doing all right?" And I, and be, because I got so used to like, you know what, I do it all myself. People aren't reliable. Um, I just got used to denying the parts of me that needed some some looking, right, some support, and, and I denied myself that. So I was hurting myself in that regard. But nobody would nobody would really know just looking looking. And I think that's why it's important to not look with our, our eyes sometimes to like, not look with the mind, but to sit and be observe, just witness where, you know, how people are behaving, how, like, I'm sure if, if you were to witness my life, then if I were to witness my life, then I could just see incongruences in, in what was said versus how I behaved. So, um, okay. So coming back, coming back to the uh, psychedelic or ayahuasca, what was leading me there. So I, the therapist, the therapist thing, um, I didn't feel like was moving quick enough for me. And then it hit me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be 30 in a few months. I don't want to, like, I've had a great de decade in my twenties, but I don't want to keep doing it this way. It, it's if I'm going to do this, it's now. And so I remember booking a trip and it was like every, as soon as I made that decision, um, everything just started really speeding up and I'll go into that for a moment, but, uh, or I'll go into that next, but I, I do have to say um, at this time, like I said, I was pretty desperate. I was willing to try so many things. I ended up going to see a, um, uh, what do you call it? Palm reader, a palm reader and like chart reader, which I had always written off as woo woo bullshit. Um, but, but this is just goes to show you how different parts of me were softening and I was just desperate and ready for change. And it was fascinating. So I did a two hour. Have you ever done a, first of all, have you ever done a palm reading or um, fortune teller? I've done a, yeah, I've done a psychic reading after my cousin had passed away. But because I, I was thinking it was woo woo, I was not giving yeah. her the space uh, to, and I, I really just shut down. Uh, yeah, and I, and I kind of got nothing out of it. But now after Peru, I mean, I yeah. know exactly what you're talking about. Well, it was about. fascinating. What was fascinating is um, within the first like 30 minutes, um, 
and actually, you know what? This was pre pre my decision to go to Peru. That's why I needed to back up because this is interesting. This probably led to me making that decision. About 30 minutes into this lady reading my my charts, my poem, all that, she's she goes, "Are you gonna, are you traveling somewhere?" And I was like, "No, I'm. I have a my business is going right now. I don't see myself traveling anywhere." She goes, "Huh?" Because I, I just see a lot of lush green. You're going somewhere with a lot of green. And I was like, "Oh, okay, that sounds cool. I, I like green." <laughs> whatever that means. Um, and then she was giving me some, uh, like she took my, like, you know, like my, my birth year, the time I was born, the state I was born in. And I mean, it was an extensive, it was like a two hour ordeal. Um, and I don't remember all the details, but I, that one stood out. And the other one was, she told me that in a previous life, which at this time I don't, you know, I didn't believe in reincarnation or previous lives. She's like, yeah, in a previous life, you, um, you raped somebody. And I remember being like, that's an awful thing to say. Why would you say that to somebody? But she said it so matter of factly and like, and just like kept like, she was just like reading the newspaper to me essentially. And like kept going and like no judgment. Um, and I was like, well, shit, that sucks. Um, and so those two things have stuck with me that she said, and I'm like, I wonder if like, how, how do I not, especially now that I've changed my perspective on changed my perspective on, reincarnation and, and energy. I'm like, how do I work that karma out? That's terrible. Um, so, so in a way you yeah, think, think a little in some bit, way or... it resonated. I'm like, Oh God, that's terrible. Um, but my, but the mind that I was operating from at the time just was like, um, like you're, you're, you're giving me information that I can't prove or disprove. It's just something you're saying as far as I'm concerned. But on a, on another level, I was like, maybe there could be something to this. This lady could be seeing something, I guess. Um, I didn't want it to be. I mean, I still don't know. I still don't know if that's true, but I just remember at the time my reaction was like, that's a terrible thing to say. Like, give me, I need rainbows and sunshine. I don't want terrible darkness. <laughs> I have read bad things. Um, but that lady, can talk about repeat customers too, right? <laughs> also, like you're not going to get a lot of repeat customers <laughs> if you talk to people like that. But yeah, no, I just reading the newspaper, like you're reading your yeah. life, reading your energy. So well, she was telling me, like, yeah. she's like, we knew each other in a past life, and um, I used. She's like, I was really overweight. Like she's giving me all these details, and I just remember you're like, this is weird. This is really like I wasn't. I was more fascinated. I'm like, even if even if she's making all this up, it's still kind of fascinating to listen to her go, um, because she was also reading her own newspaper, so to say, right? She's like, yeah, I used to be a. I, I've always been a a seer, and I and like in the past life we knew each other. I was I was like 400 pounds, and I had to learn how to be more self disciplined. And it's just like, wait, are you reading my my heart, like my my life or your life? What's going on here? <laughs> so. Um, but that, so that, that was pre, pre making my decision. And then when I made the decision, it was maybe two weeks later, like right in the very beginning of January, actually. And I, and as soon as I made the decision, it's like, I found a round trip ticket to Peru for like five seventy five. It was insane. And I was like, I can't believe I got such a good deal on this. And I, I found, I looked at three different centers and I settled on the one that was like their whole mission was support healing. And I, and I know a lot of centers say like, it's about healing and your self journey, but um, this one just resonated between the few that I, I looked at like Temple of the Way of Light. I looked at Blue Morpho and the one I settled on um, was Nemea Kaya. And uh, so that, I, and I booked it for March because I wanted to have my 30th birthday uh, at the center. I wanted to have it be the, I know on some level it was about rebirth, starting anew. And I didn't want it to be like, I didn't want it to continue as it was. I didn't want to continue to be as I was. I was ready to die in some way. And uh, what better way to, than to do that on your 30th birthday, right? Yeah. 100%. Um, so fast forward a couple months, um, or one month, I'd say. I was reading that. But during that, during that one month, was there a lot of transformation, like a lot of healing that was being done pre ayahuasca as if the, the plant medicine was already taking effect almost, or was it just still go, go, go? Yes. Yeah, so the thing about life, my business is know? my business actually was very concentrated. And by the time 
January came around, it was on hold for, for, for many months. Um, so I had, I had the space and time to, to do better practices. So yeah, I was doing yoga more often. I was doing some breath, some breath work. Um, nothing like Wim Hof. I, I didn't know Wim Hof was around yet, but, um, more like a Qigong and slow movements and slow inhale, slow exhale, right? Staying with the breath. And actually at that time, I had just like a month and a half previously to that, I had been in a, a fender bender, nothing, nothing too serious, but I, I ended up doing um, a lot of physical therapy, like just massage therapy and the working on my body, different emotions. Um, and, you know, cause the body keeps the score, different energies had been blocked. And as this person was working on my body, that emotion started to rise up. So I think that also contributed to my, to me being aware of, Hey, there's a lot of hurt and pain and things that aren't serving me anymore. And I need to look at it now, not wait. I need to do it now. Um, so better practices. Yeah. Yoga, breath work, um, and, and journaling. I, I was just journaling. This is my intention. That was almost like, even though it was, it was almost like a negative journaling because it was ruminate a lot of ruminating. Like I'm like a self negative narrative. I'm a, I'm a despicable person or I'm just lacking. I'm, I'm, I'm unlovable. Like I just tried to identify everything that was coming through me. I'm like, and I, this is the stuff I want to get rid of or I want to clean up. And so, yeah, I would say when I made the decision to go, my intention was about looking at my depression and anxiety and, and finding purpose and how that manifested or how that manifested, how that, how that showed up was in journaling and just better life practices. But, um, can you go back to the journaling? Why did you say that it was uh, almost a negative journaling? I had like, I'm almost, I'm almost under the impression that when you kind of play in that dark area, right? With the, I call it kind of like the negative self. It's kind of yeah. like a pit that is never ending. That is just all your trauma goes there, all your negativity. And it, you could, you can never fill it up almost. It's, if you play there, it's just never ending and you can really get into a, a depression yeah. or a self wall or whatever. But as you were journaling, like I still feel like it is important to go at least to sit in that dark area to get comfortable with it that you can not become friends but almost kind of become accustomed to that feeling that maybe will never go away but you'll be able to live with so during that journaling did you kind of felt like you were getting more and more comfortable with that negativity or did you feel like you were digging a hole just further um i didn't feel comfortable with it. i mean it was very discomforting that's what was leading me to south america really I wanted it gone. As I journaled, I, it, I guess what I'd say is it was like a small valve of, of like, okay, this is here, but I wasn't accepting of it, you know, and that might've really, that, that probably amplified it even more. Um, it's, it's like, um, I like Ram Dass calls, has a book called Polishing the Mirror. And it's like my mirror was so unpolished and uncleaned and I did not like the reflection. And so as I journaled, that reflection became very apparent of like my distortion, how I saw self, how I saw the world, but I was still unaware that I had a distortion. It was just more like, I don't like my reflection. I don't want to look at that reflection. I want this reflection to go away. And because I saw myself as the reflection, like that is me. I'm this ugly thing. I'm this unlovable person. Um, I'm an unhappy person. You know, that, that I am that attachment, it, it it um, amplified my suffering, the suffering. Yeah. It's really important. Yeah. I feel like if anybody is going to be listening in the future and even me, it's like, I've been thinking a lot about that is it almost, it almost feels like as you were journaling, you were writing on the mirror so that you wouldn't see yourself in uh, in hatred and you were actually uh, hating yourself more by realizing or at least by not realizing that you are love right that kind of putting uh, negativity on your soul and saying that's who i am so you were kind that's of right. printing, cementing that negativity too where the other way of journaling that is very healthy that people talk about all the time is 
identifying the emotions that you are bothered with and writing them down and then understanding that you are not and that you are loved and kind of but sitting with those emotions in a way that it, your intentions are there to uh, create healing and to become friends or to accept and surrender to what is. So yeah, thank you for elaborating yeah, and, on that. That's important. Thank you for, for um, diving in because it, it also elucidates that you're hearing what I'm saying, but also you're contributing. It's really beautiful. Um, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah. And yeah, no the worries. Yeah, so the journaling piece, I, and I've been journaling off and on. I've been writing. I mean, I was an, I'm, an, I'm an English lit major. I have a degree in English literature. Um, journaling is only one writing expression, right? So like, I did a lot of silly, silly poems and, or whimsical poems and storytelling and this kind of thing. Um, but journaling was, yeah, journaling was like where I was starting to do some shadow work, I think, like to – if I had to identify how that was serving my my journey into deeper in, into self and with ayahuasca, journaling became that that reflection of self. Um, and then, so I so I I'm, I remember looking at the instructions for diet leading up to the retreat, and it was like, hey, cut out pork, cut out red meat, cut out sugars, caffeine, alcohol, abstain from sex. And I, this is my, my mindset at the time. I'm going to do the bare minimum. I, I, I'm not giving up sex, like not until the very end. <laughs> and and uh, caffeine, I love coffee. So I'm going to switch to decaf, and that kind of counts. And uh, the, the point of me saying that is I was a pretty uh, – I was unaware of what health was, right? Like I'm, I was pretty unhealthy. And – But yeah. – the other thing as well about that is it's almost impossible when when you have so much uh, disrespect yeah. for yourself that's why would right. you put in any effort for your healing because you're not worth yeah, it yeah that's you know, that's you actually you're not worth uh, it. A, a, a strong insight on your part that's right yeah when if, if i'm not if i'm not seeing myself as um worthwhile why would i invest good foods in my body why would i why would i care about my health like, it doesn't matter. Um, so when I, so my, my respect, there are some things like, again, I stuck with yoga. I, I, I had the physical body. I was getting some attention placed on by therapists and all that. But, um, my new, my nutrition was really poor and my, um, discipline was lacking for sure. Um, I think I did. I remember having this girl over for, for Valentine's day, and then she was like, hey, do you want to come stay with me? Because I had to fly to California to see family before the Peru trip. And I was like, oh, I'll just do a, I'll just fly. I think I was able to rearrange my ticket to where I was flying out of L.A. to go to Peru. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, I'll do that. And then I thought like the week before I ended up canceling on her because I was like, if I go see this girl, I'm not going to. I'm not going to, we're going to have sex. So I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm like, and that's where I was like finally getting serious, which is, you know, the last week leading up to the trip. Um, so I say that just to like, again, give you some context of where my, where my heart, my mind, my conscious, my conscious development was at the time. Right. I'll do the bare minimum <laughs> to get the most that I think I can get. Uh, so I, I went to Peru and I remember flying into Lima and I'm feeling really depressed and, and very disconnected. And it was like, as the closer I'm getting to Pucolpa, which is where the retreat center is, the more and more uh, anxious, anxious I'm getting. And my mind starts going crazy. Like, oh, my God, what if, what if you go to this retreat center and you die from ayahuasca? I'm like, yeah, we've already had this. Like, this was already thought about. Why, why all of a sudden is this so important? Like, very few people have died from drinking ayahuasca. Okay. Okay. So I'm like talking myself off the ledge and then I'm looking around. I'm like, but like, it's like, this is completely ego, right? Trying to like stay alive, trying to keep itself alive. It's like, yeah, but this is voodoo maybe. And um, your parents don't even know where you are. Cause I didn't tell my family that I was going to go do this. I didn't want them to give me pushback. And I had explained to them um, I'm depressed. I'm anxious. Uh, religion can't cure me. Sorry. Therapy hasn't cured me. And I don't have time to explain it to you. I have to do this. So 
all this is going through my mind. I'm like, holy shit, am I crazy? I can't believe I came all the way to Peru to do this jungle juice, essentially. This 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 thing that could be wreck me mentally and emotionally. Um, and I was actually, I remember being like, I still could just turn around and, and go back or like just go to Machu Picchu and enjoy that and go. And then like the reality of my situation pressed back down on me of like, and then what? You're going to still be you. You're still going to be depressed. You're still going to be anxious. Is this really a life worth living? And this is like the same narrative that you might hear with someone who's considering suicide. Um, and I would even like, this is a little bit of a side shoot. I would even suggest that people who are considering suicide are really, it's the ego that is needing to die. There's a part that they're needing to shed and they, they don't realize that you don't have to have a physical death to shed that you need a spiritual death. Uh, uh, wait, wait, wait. Can you elaborate on that? Like your ego wanting to die? Cause I've always heard that ego is always fighting to keep survival, but then at a point when you get yeah. so depressed and so suicidal, yes. the ego doesn't want to deal with it anymore and actually wants to get the release and go, wow. All right. That's and another question that I have got is your inner monologue at that point. Was it, did you have conversations with yourself or was it the inner critic always bashing you and kind of you listening and never talking back? That's a great question. It was uh, at that point, it's the latter. I was so identified with the inner critic um, and I was so beat up often, right? There, and that, which would, would lend to me feeling depressed. Um, the inner critic, and just to give you some understanding or to try to do my best to show my own understanding of my inner critic now is that inner critic was serving me as a kid in some way, right? Like I, I learned that from um, my mom and, and who, who learned it from her mom in, in some way. And so this pattern gets passed on generationally and how it served me is it served me well in, in business. It served me well in competition because it was never enough, right? It's like, Oh yeah, you did something well, but you, you got to do better next time. Um, or yeah, you made some decent money this month, but so what, like you need to, you got it was always like more and more and more and more and more. Um, and so it could be seen. What's that? So and, and you see this in our society, like not that they're aware that there's an inner critic, but that we get reinforced with, uh, striving and, 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 you know, being super productive and there's nothing wrong with being productive, but it's what lays beneath the drive to be so productive. Like what's, what is it that your goal is? So coming back to the, to the critic. Um, yeah, my, in, my internal dialogue was a uh, critical self of like, you know, you're not enough. It's, you know, you'll never be enough. You're not lovable. You have to, you, you have to essentially manipulate people. This is what I meant by like, you know, yeah, I was charismatic, but a lot of that charisma was about, attracting someone long enough to stay with me so I could feel loved or feel like, you know, feel, to fill that void that I felt within myself. But that never, that never worked because I didn't trust, I didn't love myself and I didn't trust that other people could love me. So there's always this like two, there's like this desire for wholeness and uh, in, in, in connection, but this pushing away because, so it's like those two magnets, those polarities that pushed each other away. Um, it was like a house divided and, uh, but more specifically, like uh, when your inner critic was talking to you uh, throughout your entire life, did you ever allow yourself to be, quote unquote, like insane from society's point of view where you're like, would have a conversation with it? So let's say it would be like, hey, it's not enough. You didn't make enough money. And you'd be like, yeah, I know. Like, what, what should I do? And then it would talk back to you like, oh, you should do this. Nah, 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 nah. Or was it just purely an inner critic saying you're not good enough and then you would outwardly you know through uh, your yeah. reality do something about it. it was the latter ever- so again i was so over identified with the inner critic to me that was me that like that voice that it was it's a jump and i said okay if it's a, like so there was no there was no separation it wasn't until my meeting with ayahuasca and the, that work that um but I'm, but I'm curious, like, even if you identify fully with that voice, like, even now, as I'm talking to that voice, uh, my ego or whatever, 
I wonder if there's anybody out there that is having a conversation with their inner critic, but knowing that it's them, like not seeing a separation. And I've always wondered, like, is one uh, not possible without the other? You know what I mean? Or as soon as you start talking to your inner critic, there is no choice but to see that something separate. Um, yeah, I'm, always, I'm curious about that. But anyways, continue. I love your story of, uh, of where you're at before the, the Peru. And as well, what I wanted to uh, say, if you could continue with the pre-ayahuasca, uh, how you were feeling, just to give an anticipation. Because then after that, we're going to cut it. And the next time, I want sure, to dive sure. into your first yeah, ayahuasca so, trip. Like on yeah, a, on definitely. So that was, again, this is the night before arriving at the retreat center. I was having the, what are we doing here? You're, like, am I, I must be going crazy. I've come all the way to another culture, country and culture to do what? To have some kind of religious experience? Like, I'm, I'm going crazy. This is nuts. And then the sobering truth coming back of this, this is net, like, this is necessary. There, there was, so there's the, there's a moment of like the critical self. And like, when you talk about, was there a conversation back and forth? This is a, this was a de, um, deciding moment where I was, where I was talking back to that inner, that inner self. It was like, you know what? We're staying <laughs> like, and so, so we, so I stayed, took a plane to Pucopa and the first, the first day at the retreat center, you know, there's 17 other um, people journeying from all parts of the world. Uh, and very quickly, it was evident that we're all there to heal internally. And, the, you know, themes of depression, sexual abuse, uh, neglect, emotional abuse were uh, arising in the, in the group circles, just talking. Um, and one of the neat things that this center does at Nemeakaya is you're allowed to put, work with the medicine hands-on preparing it. So you end up washing the leaves and stripping the bark off the vine and um, stripping the bark down to find like fine threads and putting it in the pot. And during this time, you're putting the intention for why you're there into the medicine. And she knows, but you're putting it, you're, you're communing with mother. And um, the, there were two, two men who were making the brew. And uh, what's really neat too is the, there's, we did four ceremonies. In the first three ceremonies, we drank medicine from the previous group that was there. And then on our last ceremony, we drank the medicine we all made. And then whoever was coming after us got to drink our medicine. So there's this ongoing link, right? This, this chain of healing between people where we're all interconnected. And that was really beautiful. Um, so the feelings that I still had were depression. There wasn't relief yet. In fact, there was probably great, there's a great amount of fear and uncertainty. And that's where I'd say the fear, this work requires so much courage, right? So I will say that about anyone, as you know, you, you as someone yourself has done the work, it requires so much courage because at every moment I could have walked away, even even up and even up until the point that I was at the center, um, I could have packed my bags and left. There's nothing that they would have you know done to stop me. So, uh, but yeah, so <laughs> that is so beautiful. Yeah, so the. I, I do recall being very afraid, and that was one of the first times that I recall at that point sitting with, like, using the language of sitting with my fear. Um, it doesn't mean that I was comfortable. I was very uncomfortable. But I, it's more that it's like you know that there's nothing else. You've already done. I've done everything I knew how to do up until that point. But this, it's like you'll do everything in the world but look at yourself, right? Like, I think you, you we've used that language. Corey and I have talked about that language with each other. Um, and I was just, yeah. So I was just like 100%. fed up with not looking and the fear of dying, the fear of something worse, um, wasn't enough to keep me from going through. Like the fear was always there and like, so what now it's time to look. So, um, that was it. And the uh, group that you were with, uh, was there a nice yeah, uh, variety was, of was, female and males, was, or was it? There were. Uh, I remember there being two gals that two two girls. One was a nurse, the other was in the film industry, like a producer. And uh, 
they had come from Colorado. There was a husband and wife that had come together. Uh, there were two really good buddies, one from Australia, one from the UK that had come out there. Another couple from Canada, uh, me. Uh, and anyways, there was quite a mix of female to male. And then the facilitation was amazing. There was, um, I want to say five or six facilitators in the Maloka, in addition to the two shamans that were uh, male and female, which I thought was such a beautiful, beautiful experience to have the male and, and female energies present singing the Ikeros. And uh, yeah, really special. I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the on this podcast to talk to me because your story for me is so amazing. I've got so much, so so much love for you that uh, it was just super exciting to hear you. And like I, I want to hear more. Like I would love to do three hours with you, but uh, there's. Yeah. Uh, I think it's best that we cut it here and that we. Can, yeah, yeah, and that next time we're gonna be talking yeah, right in. To, uh, well, I appreciate you having me on, and oh, I, I, I enjoy talking about spiritual work and this journey. So it's been a, a real privilege. Thank you for including me. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you, Monkey and Frank. This is the podcast. If you like it, uh, just subscribe, or whatever, listen, doesn't matter. I love you all, and uh, I'll see you guys later. <laughs>